as I sat there in that very moment, it was almost as if time stood still. I looked at my laptop and the button that I was about to press was about to change my life on that day in such a significant way. And I didn't know how this was gonna play itself out. I didn't know what to expect. I had a young son. I had a reputation of being a relationship connoisseur, so to speak. And I just didn't know how this was going to affect my reputation as an individual. And I just didn't know how little and or how big that this could possibly get. But as I sat there and I looked at that laptop and I kind of took my finger and put it over the button that would then press the button that would then publish my very first Gay Walk of Shame blog entry. I just didn't know if I should just can it all now and call it a day and just forget about all the different things that I had been promoting all over social media, all the photos, all of the successful advertisement, all of the messages that I had got from individuals who could not wait to see what it was that I was creating. I was so nervous. I just didn't know. I went back and forth in my head, talking myself out of it, but then no. I had put so much effort, so much time, worked with a graphic designer that created the most amazing looking website that I had ever seen. And I just knew that this was going to change my life, whether it be positive, whether it be negative, in such a crazy way. And as I hit that button and published that first blog post, Gay Walk of Shame. The Diary of a Sex Addict was born and I revealed to the entire world right then in that moment that I considered myself one of the biggest hoes in the Castro and I considered myself a sex addict. And that was the new reputation that I had built for my franchise. So what's the difference between a sex addict and just a regular gay man, you might ask yourself. So sit back, relax, put on that condom or pop your prep pill and let's dissect this topic of conversation that I know we need to get to the bottom of before the end of this episode. What's the difference between a regular gay man and a sex addict? Do you consider yourself a sex addict or are you just gay? Hey guys, this is my gay expose podcast where we talk about gay sex, gay dating, gay culture, gay love, gay stereotypes, gay relationships, that infamous gay walk of shame, and anything else that might be considered, um, gay? 
I'm your host, Ronnie Washburn, a writer and blogger based out of San Francisco, California, and I'm here exposing my gay on my Gay Expose podcast. Disclaimer. The views expressed on My Gay Exposé podcast are not necessarily the opinions or views of the gay community as a whole. These are simply the opinions, experiences, and stories told by host Ronnie Washburn. Furthermore, this podcast is explicit, straightforward, and not for the faint of heart. And no topic is taboo, except for religion and politics. While all stories are real, most characters' names are changed to protect their identity. Unless you're a close friend to Ronnie, in which, that's what you signed up for, bitch. Ronnie Washburn here, and welcome back to My Gay Expose Podcast. And on this week's episode, we debate that topic of conversation known as what it means to be a sex addict versus what it means to just be a regular gay man. And is there really a difference? If we were to plug along on somebody who considers themselves to be just a regular everyday individual in today's gay society and track their sexual activity, would we find them to be somebody who we would consider to have a sex addiction? Or is this just a normal thing? Do sex addictions really exist? Do psychologists and therapists consider this to be an actual condition? And what do you think the difference is between a sex addiction and just a healthy sexual appetite? But first, before we log on to Grindr and set up the next four hookups throughout the remainder of our day. First, let's hop into this week's re-expose. Re-expose. Welcome to this week's re-expose. The segment in which I take the time to reassess, re-examine, re-explain, restart over, or just re-say shit that I said in past episodes that either you didn't fully understand, I didn't fully understand, or once I re-listened to the episode itself to edit or just make sure everything was where it was supposed to be, I realized that I was like, what the fuck? Why did I even say that shit for? So therefore, that's why I decided to take this shit and re-expose. And, you know, I have to say, I think it's kind of interesting that as we near the home stretch of season one, that's when you, the listeners, decide to, you know, get a little bit more boisterous and just a little bit more vocal about all the information that I cover in each episode. And I have to say thank you from the bottom of my gay little black heart for basically just being a part of my very first season of my gay expose podcast and this little podcasting journey because truth be told, it's been pretty fucking fulfilling. And keep 
all the inquiries coming, regardless of whether they're positive or negative. I really don't give a fuck. Just keep it coming. And yes, lots and lots of people asking about my little topic of conversation surrounding having sex with your friends. And truth be told, I've had sex with many of my friends or just fooled around with them or just had those drunk moments where shit just went a little bit further than I think either one of us expected in that moment. But I think we've all been there, don't you think? Or maybe this is just a San Francisco thing. I don't really know. I do feel like this is something that is just a little bit more common in San Fran- since I've lived in San Francisco than it was when like I lived in Sacramento, for example. But yes, I've had sex with most of my friends and I don't really feel like it's a situation where that defines the dynamic of our friendship. And I think in, in the gay community, we're able to kind of take those sexual moments and put our friendship first. And it's as simple as that. Lots of people giving me shit for saying that I professed my undying love for the Kardashians and using that as an example in last week's episode. And you know what? I really don't give a fuck. And I get that it's popular to dislike the Kardashians right now. And that's fine. That's your decision. And to me, liking the Kardashians is just a little bit more outside the box than it is to kind of just fall in line with everybody else and hate them. So there's that. You can take that in any way that you want. Lots of people asking questions about me talking about the fact that I said that I was, you know, I got an email from my doctor saying that I was eligible to get my vaccine. And it kind of turns out after doing a little bit of, because, you know, it was one of those situations where obviously I got the email and I didn't really fully read it. But what it is, it was basically the announcement that after the 15th, we're all eligible to go get our vaccine. So I thought I was getting a little lucky and becoming eligible a little early. But the truth be told, I got the email stating that I was officially eligible. However, I can't go get my vaccine until after April 15th. But you know what? We're heading in a direction to where before you know it, we're all going to be fully vaccinated. And I'm pretty excited to get the fuck out of all this fucking... God, this fucked up 2020. I just want to put all this shit behind me. And speaking of COVID, um, lots of people brought up or asked for more clarification on when I went home from work after that moment of the mandatory lockdown, as it was called, and we took all of our computers and paperwork and things that we needed to take home to work from home and bringing up the fact that I was starting to pour Chardonnay into my coffee mug for work each day. And just to clarify, no, I wasn't getting drunk before work every single day. It's really not how it went down. It was more for the quizzes. It's like those little quiz modules for those trainings. It was more to just get through the boredom of that shit. So let's just clarify that just for the record. I'm not one of those irresponsible drunks during work. However, we really only worked for about two and a half weeks before we officially got a phone call 
stating that we were officially laid off until further notice. So when I referenced like drinking every day with my roommate, I was not working. Just for the fucking record. Not that it matters. And then I wanted to clarify too, somebody was like confused. There was one guy that actually sent me a message in my DM about like you you and your boyfriend sat on stairs. So I, in the, in last week's episode, I talked about how my roommate was really hardcore about not really wanting to have anyone over. And he was like freaked out, conspiracy theorist about getting COVID, dun, dun, dun. And even though my boyfriend was like quarantined in his own home as well, there was the stair. Well, so there, okay. So I have to explain this a little bit more. It was actually kind of an amazing little picturesque view. So because San Francisco actually has, you know, many areas around the city where the streets are like steep hills, there's like this little stairwell that like, it's like on like 19th and Sanchez, where when you walk up the hill, it basically is one of those majorly steep hills. And so the stairwell is basically so that you can get up to the next street. So what it is, is it's outside. It's between a few streets. It's in somewhat of a quiet neighborhood. And basically when you sit at the top of the stairwell, you view the entire like beautiful, gorgeous view of the city. So I wanted to paint just a little bit more on that picture because after I re-listened to it, I was like, I talked about sitting on stairs like we were in you know, like some ghetto hood. And no, it was just one of those beautiful stairwell moments in the city, just for the record. And just also for the record to sum up all of the inquiries that were handed out to me this week. No, I still can't cook. Um, Yes, I still jerk off Um, up to 14 times a day. Yes, that's still a given. And no, I didn't kill my roommate. So all of those things are basically, you know, still around. Like those things didn't change just because quarantine happened. And yes, I wanted to reiterate just a little bit more. I am so thankful and grateful for quarantine. And what that means is I actually was kind of getting a little bit into myself. And when quarantine happened, it really just put my attitude in check. And it made me realize that I'm not invincible. And I'm not above anyone else. And I'm just like everybody else. And I really am grateful for the lessons that I learned throughout this really fucked up year. Re-expose. So before we sit back and think about how many sexual partners that we actually have been with in our lives and still come up empty-handed because at the end of the day, you've slept with far too many people to even remotely know how many people you've been with. First, let's hop into this week's Hot Gay Goss Expose. This is that Hot Gay Goss here on My Gay Expose Podcast. 
Welcome to this week's Hot Gay Goss Expose, where we try and find topics of conversation that one might find relevant and or pertinent to today's gay society. Or just shit that I want to talk about because it's my show and I can do whatever the fuck I want. And this week, listen to this interview about this whole Prince Harry, Meghan Markle interview. And this person was basically playing devil's advocate. And I don't remember his name, so I'm not going to like bring any of that shit up. However, he pretty much positioned this as, and keep in mind, this is somebody from England. So he basically stated that within this whole controversy surrounding all the like racist accusations, towards the royal family. Yes, I get that's valid. And I get that in the United States, especially, we all view anything racist as like something that's just horrible and we just can't deal with it. I know that's how I think. But this guy was basically saying that the way that everything's viewed as far as like the royal family's concerned and as far as the people of the UK and how they view the royal family, they view the royal family as like superior or above everybody else within the UK. And so that being said, when it comes to race and racism, I mean, is it really such a surprise that the family is viewing her as like the black sheep of the family? No pun intended. I mean, let's just be honest with ourselves. We can sit here and point fingers at the royal family all day long and basically say that they're horrible people for being racist. But at the end of the day, that's how they've been brought up traditionally. And in England, and especially with the backwards and old school minded way of thinking when it comes to English tradition, and I can say this with full on confidence because my family is English and this is something that we practice in my personal family and I've seen firsthand. This is just a thing. This is tradition is something that that they hold on to. And so it's really no surprise that we're watching this unfold right before our eyes. And I guess throughout the um, interview, they were saying that, I guess Megan was, she kept referencing the institution. So I think a lot of people, especially in the United States, think that the monarchy is just more of like a celebrity-based publicity type situation and that they don't really have full-on like power when it comes to like decision-making in the country. And this interviewee revealed that it's not very well-known and it's not common knowledge, but the monarchy has a lot more power than one might think. In fact, Even though the queen is getting really old and she doesn't really have her hand in like some of the long-term decision-making, Prince Charles has been taking over that role. And I guess if it's some sort of decision that has, you know, 10, 20, or 30 years impact down the road, Prince William's involved in those decisions. And if it's something that's super, super important and, and or urgent, the queen has to put the final stamp of approval on that decision. So at the end of the day, the monarchy is way more powerful than I think we all are willing to admit. And 
whether or not we all have our opinions and or agree with what's happening with all of the racism and all of this shit, everyone's saying in the UK that if Meghan Markle didn't expect this, that she just should have done research into exactly what it was that she was getting herself into. And I kind of agree in a sense, like she should have actually, I mean, let's just be honest with ourselves. You're marrying into the royal fucking family. You should know. And there's a lot of rumors that the only reason why they even did the interview in the first place is because they have a podcast coming out that's exclusive to Spotify. And they also have some sort of a Netflix, Netflix, Netflix deal that I don't know whether it's a documentary or a series or God knows what, but all of that shit is supposed to be revealed in the future. So there's rumors that they're actually just trying to get the ball rolling for all of the promotion surrounding that. So we'll just see how all this shit plays out moving forward. And just to get it out of the way, and as a disclaimer, just because I already know that everyone's going to flood me with shit for saying what I just said, I'm not in any way endorsing the royal family and or giving them any excuses to be the way they are and or racist. I think that I've made my position very clear as to how I feel about racism and how I just don't have any tolerance for anyone who acts on any sort of racism. I'm simply being that person that says that just because we in the United States sit back here and think that racism is the worst thing that could ever possibly happen in the world doesn't mean that there's going to be a certain backwards institutions that still continue to practice it. And that's it. And on this week's RuPaul recap, oh, God, lots that happened this week. And, I, you know, I have to be honest with you. I'm kind of feeling like this season is sort of getting a little predictable. Like, I don't know. Utica went home and she probably should have went home a little bit sooner than this. And truth be told, I like Utica. But let's just face it. She just was almost always in the bottom. And it was just really time for her to go. And I think <laughs> she's one of the queens that a lot of people are like calling out specifically saying that she should have gone home before Tina Burner, which I don't necessarily agree with that evaluation, but whatever, we'll see. Uh, Got Mick, Candy Muse, and Rosé were basically the top this week. And I have to say it, Got Mick's so gonna win. Simone tanked, and I really, really do want Simone to win but she's just had one too many slip-ups throughout this competition, I think. And Got Mick has pretty consistently, like, pulled through. I mean, she's never been in the top, the bottom. And she's never lip-synced for her life. And she's pretty much dominated most of the challenges. And Rosé continues to step up her game. And I do feel that my prediction is segueing into that of Gottmik, Rosé, and Simone. And I'm still hoping for Simone for the win. But at this point, I think we all have to embrace the fact that it's totally going to be Gottmik. And I watched this thing. There was this guy who basically did this whole like episode on some kind of a YouTube channel where he like talked about, I guess, Tamisha Iman, one of the queens who 
was eliminated early on, came out and basically because she's still under contract, she can't say too much. But she pretty much implied as much as she could imply that this season of RuPaul's Drag Race is basically so beyond rigged. And there were so many different ways that she kind of casually tried to imply this. Like, in that, like, I guess because they did the whole thing this season where they had all the queens lip-syncing for their life at the beginning, knowing full well that the queens weren't going home, like the ones that lost. It was their way to sort of evaluate, like, who was good, who wasn't, who was better, who was not better. The way that they're getting paired throughout the show and each of the, like, situations where they're actually paired up is like rigged and just ones that are being favored like Simone and Gottmik are predicted to be Rue's favorites this season. I mean, whether this shit is true or not, I don't know. I mean, Candy Muse should have probably already gone home, but she's still here and around. So yes, I do feel like maybe there is some rigged shit throughout the season, but we'll just have to see how all that play plays itself out. And Tamisha actually said that she's still under contract and can't say too much. However, she says that as soon as the contract is up at 12.01 that very next day, she plans to unleash the fury. And I actually can't wait to see what all that she has to say, all that tea that she's going to spill about the show itself. And this week on my new year, new Ronnie update, I posted on the Instagram page at exposing my gay, my very first before and after photo of myself being really gross and really overweight on the left and being really progressively thin on the right. And I'm so proud of myself. And if you haven't yet, check out that photo. And while you're on the page, go ahead and hit that follow button. And to finish off this segment this week, I'm proud to announce that we are, this is episode 48 and we're ending everything off for season one at number 50. So we're on the home stretch, ending things off on a bright and successful note. And I'm so happy, so proud, and so grateful and thankful for you, the listeners, and all your support and love, and even all your fucked up shit that you say. I'm grateful for all of it. But I have so much in store for season two. I'm so excited and can't wait to start my little advertisement campaign for season two. So stay tuned for that. This is that hot gay goss here on My Gay Expose Podcast. So for this week's topic list of the week, I reached out to a few of my friends and asked them the question. On a Kinsey scale from 1 to 10, 1 being little to no sex, and 10, being a sex addiction. Where do you see yourself on that scale and why? So let's get those answers now. 
This is My Gay Exposé Podcast's official topic list of the week. Jeff said, Before COVID, I'd say I was definitely a seven. During COVID, I'd say maybe a one, and that was only because I had one regular hookup who I have been hooking up over quite a while now and trusted. But I'm really hoping that once all of this coronavirus stuff subsides, I'll get back to that seven, if not more. Lori says, (laughs) she just sent like the number seven by itself with nothing else. That's it. She's a seven. Mark says, according to your scale, the younger me would have been an eight. I used to get some all the time, but now that I've been with my husband for the last six years, I would most definitely give myself a four. Michael says, I'd say I'm a pretty solid seven. Paul says, I'm a seven. I have sex pretty often, but I can't wait until we all get vaccinated so I can fully let loose and just be a hoe once again. Josh says, pre-pandemic, I'd say I'm a seven. During pandemic, it's a zero. Roberto says, if I was to take away social distancing, I would probably give myself a 10 with a gradual decline to a 7.5 with a complete zero for the coronavirus with abstinence within that year. Well, kind of, almost. This bitch is so full. This is my roommate and I have heard him having sex at least a handful of times throughout this past year. But in his defense, I definitely think that he has heard me way more often. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the dynamic of our friendship. Lisa says, if I don't get off every day, does that mean there's something wrong with me? Devin says, based on the scale that you provided, I would definitely give myself a seven or an eight. And even though we've been in this whole lockdown slash quarantine situation, my sex drive still dictates a seven or eight. However, as far as actual sexual encounters, uh, it's probably more of a three or four. Kevin says, nothing too crazy. I mean, I do like sex. So I'd say I'm probably a seven. Why is everyone picking seven? Is there something about that number? Michael number two says, I think like every gay man, if given the opportunity, I would definitely almost always say yes. So in that regard, I give myself a nine. However, those opportunities lately have been very few and far between. So I'm probably more of a two. Walter says, one, because I work six days a week. But if you count masturbation, probably every day. Hello. (laughs) Oh, God. And if you knew who this bitch was, it just fits so perfectly. Pete says, 
I think either a nine or a 10. Being a Scorpio, I really love sex. And this is, <laughs> Pete is actually, truth be told, here we go. I'm going to reveal right here, right now on my Gay Expose podcast. Pete is actually one of my favorite hookups in my past. He basically is this cute little petite Asian boy with a really big dick and really, really, really knows what he's doing with it. Patrick says, I probably would give myself a seven, but I'm guessing you give yourself like what, a 15? Joel says, define sex addict. Um, That's the entire point of this whole episode. Daniel said, I give myself probably a six. I would like for it to be more of a nine. However, life is just too busy. Olivia says, I would say a seven, only because I'm horny 24-7. But I can't seem to get off lately, and my last several hookups have been trash since I got out of my relationship. I was spoiled in the sense that he was, well, let's just say, packing. Like 8.5 to 9 inches, fully hard. Even though he wasn't always hard, it was still good. But... He was toxic. And girl, let's just be honest with ourselves. At the end of the day, all of our dream guy is that guy that's 8.5 to 9 inches fully hard, but also a little bit toxic. Thanks to all for providing their answers for this week's topic list of the week. Once again, it proves to be a clusterfuck of all sorts of random answers, which is why I love this segment so. And just in case you're wondering, if I were to rate myself on the Kinsey scale from 1 to 10 in regards to whether or not I think that I'm a sex addict, I'd give myself a very hardcore 9. And clearly with quarantine, that's not quite at that 9 level. But I will say this, even though I haven't been able to hook up near as often as my past, I haven't missed a good jerk-off session when that horniness presents itself. This is My Gay Expose Podcast's official topic list of the sex. Who doesn't love sex? But as we go throughout our lives making out with guys sucking dick, coming all over that guy's face, seeing their naked bodies in beautiful, immaculate form, and getting banged from behind, or seeing that penis size and evaluating in our minds whether it's too small, too big, or perfectly average. Evaluating that motion in the ocean and whether or not that wave comes into the beach and lands where it should, or whether we stand over the toilet 
and pee with that burning pain indicating that we need to go to the clinic and get tested for STDs. We all ask ourselves through all these situations, throughout our regular everyday routines. Are you a sex addict? Or are you just a gay man? And what's the difference? A sex addiction is pretty much somebody who really just can't help themselves when it comes to sex. So if you think about it, isn't that just a gay man? I mean, that makes sense, right? This topic of conversation has been the primary topic of debate among many of therapists who spend most of their times trying to figure out whether or not we as people, when we sit on those little green therapy couches, actually have a sex addiction, or if we're just gay men and we love sex. So what is a sex addiction? There's a shit ton of controversy that surrounds this as a diagnosis, truth be told, and it's been excluded from so many of the different textbooks and all the verification situations that all these psychologists go through have yet to fully validify the fact that sex addiction is a thing. So what are you thinking about right now in this moment? What are you thinking about? I'm pretty confident that it's some form of sex. And did you know, by the way, that men think about sex every seven seconds? That's right, folks. Every seven seconds, a man thinks about sex. So now what are you thinking about? So that translates to 500 times an hour, 8,000 times every 16 hours that you spend awake in a day, and 56,000 a week, 224,000 a month, and 2,688,000 times a year. That's right, folks. That's how many times a year you think about sex on an average and regular basis. So what defines us as a sex addict versus just a gay man? Truth be told, when I wrote my Gay Walk of Shame blog so many years ago, I had the title was basically like Gay Walk of Shame, the diary of a sex addict. And that was my little plug tagline. It was like the sub title to the blog itself. So the whole premise was basically all I wanted anyone who read to know was that all I pretty much think about and all I do is have sex. And for a hot minute, that was me. That was a part of my everyday regular routine was to have sex. So let me just give you a breakdown for a moment on what my daily life slash routine was during my gay walk of shame years. I'd wake up in the morning and first thing I'd do was immediately check all of my grinder messages. I would like maneuver through the other apps too just to see if there was that random off chance that some guy somewhere messaged me and wanted to have sex. 
I pretty much would go have sex with someone in the morning before I started my day and would go back home, shower, get ready for my day, go about my day doing writing and whatever. And at the time, I was basically working nights. So when I was off, I basically just spent the next moments of the day trying to figure out who else I could have sex with and what other sexual adventure I could find myself in. I remember one specific day I actually had to work at 4.30. So what I did was I woke up, ended up having like some morning sex with some dude that lived around the block from me, walked home, showered, kind of got ready for my day, went to a restaurant with my computer, wrote, because I had like some sort of a deadline that was due soon for a couple of hours. While in the meantime, I was on Grinder, chatting it away with some dude and fully being distracted by all of the naughty pics that he sent my way. Ended up going over to his place and having sex with him sometime that afternoon. Went to my work shift, worked my shift, ended up hooking up with some dude around where I worked after work, went home, and then ended up hooking up with some other guy around my neighborhood once home. That's right, folks. I was that person. I think what my record was in a day is I woke up in the morning, had sex with a guy, ended up going like three or four hours later to some other dude's place, had sex with him. And as I was walking out of his house, I basically got a message from some other guy that I had hooked up with like a few weeks prior who was a really good fuck. And he was hitting me up as well. So I went all the way out to his place, which it was, I had to take a bus because it was a little further than I normally travel. Had sex with him. And as I was leaving his place on that bus, some other guy that I had been chatting with prior basically hit me up saying that he was asking about me joining him and some other guy in a three-way. So of course I went and did that. And then I ended up going home to finish off my day, having some guy come over to my place for a hot, quick fuck. And keep in mind, folks, just for the record, I actually did shower in between each of these encounters, just for the record. Okay, maybe I didn't shower from the first one to the second one, but that's neither here nor there. So is this the actions of a sex addict? Would you consider this being a sex addiction? And some of you might be asking yourselves, how the fuck can you come that many times? Once again, folks, as stated before in previous episodes, I am what is considered somewhat of an enigma. I basically could come on demand anytime anyone touches me pretty consistently, pretty regularly. I'm like that guy that basically you put your hand on my shoulder and start to caress and I immediately get an erection. I really don't have any problem coming one right after another, always have, and still even to this day, always will, I feel. It's just one of those things. I've had a couple of boyfriends who actually, I've come and then they asked me if I could come right away after. And that's just what guys who sleep with me have come to expect from me. And while this is probably somewhat of a gift, sometimes 
having to come repetitively on demand becomes a chore in itself because once you become that Castro slut that everyone knows, it's kind of like you become a circus freak. So what is the difference between a sex addiction and just being a gay man? Because to me, I don't really feel like I, even though I used that subtitle in my Gay Walk of Shame blog as a sex addiction, I felt like I used that title more to lure people in and kind of know that it was basically a blog all about having sex regularly. But I do fervently feel that this is just being a gay man. And living my life, having sex multiple times, each day, every day. I have a really close straight friend who, when I first came out to him, a couple of years sort of flew by and we stayed in contact. And one time he actually just straight up asked me, he's like, listen, I have to know, like, I get that you guys as gay men are just a lot more promiscuous than you know, pretty much anyone else, but I have such a high sex drive and my wife, she almost never wants to have sex. So how do you do it? How do you convince someone that you need sex that much more often? And I basically told him being a gay man is a gift because think about it. Think about all the times that you're wanting to think about having sex every seven seconds, right? That's how often you actually can act on it because chances are the guy that you're hitting up on Grindr is thinking the exact same way at the exact same time. So there's really no one there to say no. And you just find yourself maneuvering through all of your sexual encounters as you go about your life. And one of my favorite things about being a gay man is all of the sexual experimentation that we can act on on a regular basis. My current boyfriend actually asked me the other day, and you know, before I go into this, just to preface, my boyfriend and I are in an open relationship. As stated before in past episodes, we are pretty open to sleeping with other men outside of our own bedroom. And One of the many things that I actually do enjoy about this is all the sexual experimentation, all the crazy stories, all the things that I can share with you on this specific podcast, because let's be honest with ourselves, sex isn't always that hot, pounding, screaming situation that you always see in every single porn that you watch. There are most certainly those really weird, awkward, and just not good times as well that you can throw into the mix and just really just sort of create a well-rounded sexual experience slash history that you can tell stories to from here until the end of time. And when you've had sex with as many guys as I have, that becomes a very common thing. But my boyfriend asked me, how many sexual partners did I think that I had? And he actually told me because my boyfriend's basically lived in San Francisco for most of his entire life. And so he basically said that he could sit there and count based on like the streets. I was like, what the fuck is this shit? Like you're going to count. So basically he was saying that he was counting block by block. All the different guys that he slept with block 
by block. My boyfriend is a big ol' hoe, just like I am, and that's why we're so good together. But I was like, he asked me, like, how many sexual partners did I think that I have? And to be honest with you, I could very confidently tell you that I've slept with seven women, but when it comes to telling you the amount of men that I've slept with, I have no fucking idea. So he then asked me, well, just estimate, guess. If you had to, like, think about where you think it would be, where would it be? So I sat there and I thought, and I was like, ooh, God, I have no idea. Keep in mind, I wrote a fucking blog for a good portion of my life known as Gay Walk of Shame, where I basically depicted all of my sexual encounters. And to be honest with you, I have no fucking idea how many guys I've actually had sex with. I couldn't tell you. More than 500? Probably. More than 1,000? Maybe. I don't even have any idea where to even begin. I just have no clue. And if you're judging me right now, You probably should be, but chances are there are many guys out there just like me who have absolutely no idea how many guys that they've had sex with either. And while my boyfriend thought that he could kind of guesstimate where he was with his number, he most certainly could not pinpoint an accurate and exact number. There was just no way. And how many of you can pinpoint an exact and accurate number? Anyone out there? But truth be told, at the end of the day, I am working on my very first book entitled Gay Walk of Shame, which is basically me taking some of my most treasured sexual experiences that I archived in the Gay Walk of Shame blog and breathing a little bit more storytelling life into them and facilitating them in my own memoir, so to speak, in my very first book that I'm so excited to reveal to you, the listeners, and soon-to-be readers, entitled Gay Walk of Shame. And this is just my story and my way of living. And I really don't feel like it's a sex addiction. I just feel like it's just sex. And it's just me. And it's just me being my true self as a gay man. So at the end of the day, with all of these psychologists and therapists and all these people who try to write all these books to publish all these different diagnoses, and I don't even know if that's how you say it, diagnoses, diagnoses, whatever, is sex addiction really something that you can say that somebody suffers from or struggles with or has? And to be honest with you, I really can't answer that question, truth be told. So I thought it would be fun to take a little quiz live here on my Gay Expose podcast and find out if you think that you have a sex addiction. So let's start that test now. Number one, and there are 20 questions here, folks, so let's blow through this shit real quick. Have you attempted to suppress or stop specific sexual behaviors or activity? Ooh, this is a really good question. God, there's so many different answers that we could 
formulate from this question. Have you attempted to suppress or stop specific sexual behaviors or activity? Uh, me? No. What about you? I'm putting no. Number two, does your sexual behavior or thoughts make you feel guilty or regretful? Uh, wrong person to ask. Uh, no. Number three, thinking about real life interactions, do you pursue some sexual behaviors or form forms of sexual release anonymously or with complete strangers? Now, anonymously, no, but with complete strangers, yes. I mean, who doesn't have sex with complete strangers? It was funny, like, when my side note, my boyfriend and I, when we were talking about, as disclosed before, uh, about how many different people we had hooked up with, we were talking about getting names, and I was like, yeah, you know, sometimes I just don't get their names. And he was like, you don't get their names? He was, like, shocked that there were some sexual situations that I didn't quite get the guy's name. Is this, like, a normal behavior? I think it is. But yes, thinking about real life interactions, do you pursue some sexual behaviors or form of sexual release anonymously or with complete strangers? So I'm going with yes, because I do have sex with complete strangers, even though it's not anonymous. Number four, do you sometimes feel overwhelmed with your sexual appetite? No, I'm pretty used to it at this point. So I'm putting no on that one. Number five, do your sexual desires dominate your everyday thinking? And that's a very hard yes. Do you ever have obsessive thoughts of, sexual of a sexual nature that you struggle to get out of your mind? Uh, I don't really struggle with this. I just think about it. Um, obsessively? Obsessive thoughts? Um, I'm going to go no. Have you broken local laws relating to sexual behaviors where you live? I'm going to go with yes on this because truth be told, um, haven't we all had public sex? Because technically, if you think about it, that shit's illegal, right? Yeah, I've definitely broke laws. I mean, I've gotten kicked out of Ubers for blowing guys in the backseat. I've gotten kicked out of clubs for having sex in the bathroom. I've pretty much broken every sexual law I think that you can think of. So I'm going with a yes. Have you suffered post-sexual abuse? Post. Oh, past. <laughs> God. The coffee needs to kick in. Have you suffered past sexual abuse? That's no for me. I don't know whether or not you have, but I think that they determine the outcome based on that answer, I'm guessing. Number nine, have you previously sought help for negative or damaging sexual behaviors by, for example, going to a therapist? I mean, I've talked to a therapist about my extreme sexual desires and or behaviors, but I don't think that I've, I wouldn't consider any of my sexual behavior to be negative. But I've definitely talked to a therapist about it. So I'll just, ooh, help for negative or damaging sexual. No, I'm going to say no because I, it's not negative and it's not damaging. Although I have been late to work many times for having 
sex. So I guess that's technically negative because that's your work performance, but that's neither here nor there. Have you tried to, um, oh, sorry. <laughs> Have you tried and f failed to stop specific sexual behaviors? Uh, no, cause I enjoy them. I'm going with a no on that one. Would you describe your sexual behaviors as abnormal un or unusual? I'm going to go with yes on this one because I do feel like my sex drive is just a little bit higher than the average Joe. Have you neglected parts of your life at your job, at your home, with your friends and family to pursue a sexual encounter? And that is a very hardcore yes on all counts. Would you regard sex or pursue sex as the most important thing that drives you? Mm, before, yes, but now, definitely no. I'm going with no because I know that I can get sex anytime that I want, whenever I want. Have you ever felt humiliated or divulged by sexual activity? Uh, yeah, hasn't everyone? That will be probably revealed in future episodes. Number 15, did either of your parents struggle with unhealthy sexual behaviors? I don't know. And actually, this question is the first one that's just not just yes or no. It's actually don't know. And oh, God, thinking about my parents with sexual behavior is not something I think any of us want to think about. Am I right? Have your sexual behaviors ever caused your friends, family, or sexual partners to become upset? Yes. Do you have, or sorry, do you use sex or sexual fantasies as means to escape aspects of your real life? I think we can all say yes to this, don't you think? After having sex, do you feel sad, unhappy, or rejected um no <laughs> do you feel like your sexual appetites have a grip on you yes have sexual behaviors ever caused issues in relationships with friends or family with friends or family yes in relationships no caused issues. No, I'm going to say no. Would you like a copy of your results sent to your email? Um, no, <laughs> I'm just going to skip and hope that it gives me my results. Here we go. Your sexual addiction test results. Your result is high risk. You're a nine out of 20. 9 out of 20. So here's the scale. 0 to 1, low risk for a sex addiction. 2 to 5, some risk of sex addiction. And 6 to 20, high risk of sexual addiction. So I'm considered a 9 out of 20. That's pretty bad. So what we learned here, folks, with this stupid quiz is that we still don't know whether or not I'm a sex addict. Because truth be told, some of the sexual behaviors that I displayed in some of these questions are just normal, everyday routines for most gay men. And I only scored a 9 out of 20. 
And there's that. So long story short, this quiz absolutely proved nothing. And at the end of this episode, we still haven't come to the bottom of anything. We still don't know whether you consider yourself a sex addict or you could just consider yourself a gay man. Like, if that's even different. Because to me, at the end of the day, I think it's the exact same fucking thing. So what do we learn today, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, tops or bottoms, gays and straights, transgender and questioning? Well, to be honest, we really learned nothing and we came to the bottom of nothing. And we still don't know whether somebody who considers themselves to have a sex addiction and somebody who considers themselves just to be a regular gay man with normal sexual activity is the same thing. Is it? Is it not? We still don't know and we may never know. But truth be told, having sex is fun and just do it safely and do it in the right way and you can label yourself whatever the fuck you think you need to label it to be. I'm Ronnie Washburn, and I will plan the next four sexual encounters with you next time. Thanks for joining me, Exposing My Gay, here on My Gay Expose Podcast. If you liked what I exposed on today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, follow on Spotify, or just any other podcast format out there. Follow us on Instagram at ExposingMyGay. That's Instagram.com at ExposingMyGay. And don't forget to check out my website. That includes my blog, A Gay in the Life of Ronnie, as well as all of my written work at www.RonnieWashburn.com. That's R-A-O-N-I washburn.com. And don't forget to join us next time for another messy, salacious, and relatable episode with me, Ronnie Washburn, exposing my gay here on my gay expose podcast. And I'll see you next time. <laughs>